0: Welcome to this podcast. Um, We're here now uh, today with a seminar of the International Academy for Leadership on Smart Cities that has been going on for a couple of days. And uh, my name is Armin Reinhardt. I'm the head of the Global Innovation Hub of the Friedrich Naumann Foundation in Hong Kong. I'm one of the facilitators, and I have the big honor to facilitate with Sven Gerst, who is a philosopher and economist from the um, King's College in London. And uh, we already had a very interesting couple of days here with exciting participants from literally all over the world, uh, from Vietnam, to uh, Mexico, and uh, we have three participants here on this podcast today with me. Um, one is Marco Martinez from Mexico. Hi, how's it going? Then there's uh, Liana from South Africa. Hi, how you doing? And Rashid Tuduari from Bangladesh. Hello. So, to start and to give a bit of an idea of how different your backgrounds also are and the different conditions that you work in, could you just say, like, one more sentence, what your background is and get in, into why, why are you working on smart cities? What is your interest in there? Maybe, yeah. Sure. Uh, uh,
1: so, I'm Marco from Mexico, and uh, I basically focus in smart regulation and, small, and, and smart legislation uh, regarding urban development and uh, city transformation. So we've been advising city governments and uh, federal governments in Latin America uh, to promote reform.
2: Uh, Leah from South Africa. Um, I am the political head of the economic development departments in uh, Johannesburg. And uh, essentially, we're busy revising our entire economic strategy as well as our inner city plans. um, And that's my interest,
3: particularly in smart cities. Uh, hello, I'm R- Architect Rashid. I'm I'm an architect, and we have started uh, working with the government on a few urban projects, mainly to design our streets that actually addresses how people want to use it. And today we are uh, really looking forward to new ideas and frontiers on how we can integrate the recent technologies and ideas into the way we use the streets.
0: Oh, that's, I think... If you find Bangladesh is a particular interesting example because um, smart cities usually that's a, a buzzword with it's a lot about technology and I think Bangladesh a lot of people have in mind is puzzling like developing country with uh, hundreds of people and like uh, very dynamic but um, would not be the country that comes to mind when about talking about smart cities. So where do you see the the application there, or well, maybe like a, is there a vision
3: for? Well, that's a very uh, interesting way of seeing it. So uh, one thing we have to deal with is uh, the perspective we have, uh, how people the world sees us. I think the term smart cities uh, has been translated in a different way in our case. We do not see smart cities as a, a city that only deals with ICT or the infusion of technology. Rather, you know, a smart city should be something that is thinking and working with its citizens, becoming more aware and engaged, whether it be with technology or with communication in other means. But it's about having everyone really communicating and having the scope to, you know, reach out and solve their problems together. Technology is one way, and there are many other issues that needs to be addressed. And As an architect, we not only work with physical forms or space making, but we actually are uh, concerned with how people behave in certain conditions and spaces. Today, as we see the traffic, uh, you know, the rules and all these uh, infrastructures that are coming up, but people are somehow not using it and the traffic conditions are happening. So we are in our community really talking about how urbanization needs to address where we come from and what we feel and how we behave. And if we can address the basic civic behaviors that we would as a community like to engage in, so probably we should start designing from there. Mm-hmm. So I, I do acknowledge your point that you know technology is something really far away, but I think smartness is something that needs to come from a mm-hmm. different
0: perspective. Yeah. Do you have a like, concrete project that you're working on right now where you feel this is applicable?
3: Yes. Uh, last year we, have, uh, we won a national competition where it was about designing a model street because a lot of uh, infrastructure has been developing in the cities. You know, you have sidewalks, you have bins, but none of them are working out because people somehow are not really adapting them. So the, uh, the city corporation uh, uh, got a, a competition on designing a street that would actually work for us. So we basically gave a proposal of, you know, designing a street based on our behavior and The whole idea was to start branding the city to create an ownership and interaction based on how we basically come onto the streets. So the conventional model is to get everything out, make the roads wider, make the footpath wider and make the transportation system go efficiently. But what we were noticing is, you know, people just don't walk like that. They don't work like that. They need a lot of things to encourage them to go on the streets and really take care of it. So we are bringing out a few old elements that people spontaneously uh, interact and like it to be there and managing it in different, you know, time-stating processes or as uh, redesigning how the footpaths are. And so we are developing that and we're working with the government with a few more projects which came along with it. So this is something that is uh, hopefully within the next two years see the light. Mm. So, yeah, I think you mentioned government
0: quite a few times, and uh, government is a crucial actor in this, and uh, Leah, as somebody who, who is a politician and works in government, um, what, what are the challenges that you see in particular on, on when you tr- try to implement smart city solutions? What are you facing?
2: Well, what we had in place was a rather inefficient system um, at the time, and, and there's small measures I have to agree with, with Rashid in, in terms of smart cities not being isolated to technology. I mean, we did something as simple as increasing the clinic hours at free clinics in in about 12 different locations, um, which reduced our EMS output, so our ambulances and and, uh, fire services, by 50%, um, particularly at night time. It also increased the sort of, from an economic perspective, because people weren't reduced to having to only visit free clinics from 7 till 4 during the day. Um, And and this, you know, the the reduction on EMS was actually just a side effect of it and and quite a substantial one, which meant we were taking 600 less calls per evening because people were able to utilise facilities closer to home. Um, And, um, you know, in, in terms of, I think your planning department, for example, was used as a big example in our country because you have six steps in your building process, your town planning process. We have 19 um, so it's a huge um, barrier for investment. Mm-hmm. And the idea was for us to start looking at uh, investment prioritisation so that we'd have a red carpet service mm-hmm. and kind of take away the red tape that was required for people to comply because over the years, a lot of illegality has, has stemmed out of legal building, people not willing to wait for processes because they're losing money you know, qu- quicker than what we can actually keep up with them. Um, so one mm-hmm. of the things was to integrate our department's um, more effectively to talk to one another, um, because the time between departments in order to get comments for a planning application was anywhere from two to three years on a process that should be taking you two months. Um, so there's, there's many examples like that. Um, you know, I think particularly our, our economic department um, itself, where we've revised our SMME support. So we're opening up what we call opportunity centres, which are really small business um, hubs, closer to where people live that require it so that your your local entrepreneur, who doesn't have a lot of money, a lot of contacts, can get in touch with the public and the private sector there, but also receive assistance. We've got now 12 private sector and public sector partners on board. And we have, for some reason, this seems to be taking off quite nicely and people really want to help. So in the first month, we trained about 900 entrepreneurs in various things, uh, business proposals, putting them in touch with investors. uh innovation desks. We signed up six big ideas within the corporate industry already. Um, so, you know, just making things easily accessible to people so that an idea isn't lost in a certain part of town because they're not close to, to where resources are.
0: Well, well, first of all, thanks very much for making me feel better that there's a country that has worse red tape than Germany. That is, doesn't happen very often, but... but uh... Um, I find it very interesting that you also seem to have very like you, you. I find your approach very hands-on and your your perspective very pragmatic. And you see the little steps that actually do a lot of good. Um, um, and I want, would, would like to ask Marco, um, like uh, smart cities, has also a bit of a vision, right? So um, in your work, um, where do you see like uh, what kind of visions do you see in smart cities and where they're going, and
1: what what role would a, like the overall idea of a smart city play? Sure. Uh, and uh, I like Leah's vision of entrepreneurship, because in the end of the day, entrepreneurs are going to turn every city into a smart city somehow. And sometimes we we fall for the trap that it's the government that needs to create the smart city. And it's not. It's, it's, it's the market. It's the entrepreneurs. It's the, the, the evolving uh, industries that are using this new technology and all the new innovations and gadgets to uh, completely evolve. Every industry in the world is currently evolving, but the way we plan cities today is the same way we did it 100 years ago. And so something is falling behind. Uh, and so to talk about cities and urban reform in the digital era when um, applications like Uber and Airbnb are destroying lifelong mafias that existed in Latin America. Uh, and, of course, the politicians are mad. It was a very good business for them. Uh, but they're still not Same understanding it. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And, and we in Mexico uh, and Latin America use a very uh, uh, battle-oriented uh, speech when we talk about politicians versus citizens. But it's not true. We always have these visionary good politicians that that uh, are also leading change from inside, and they're entrepreneurs, and maybe not entrepreneurs, but intrapreneurs. Uh, but what we found is that the vision of planning... particularly with the idea of zoning uh, is so outdated in a world where an industry will evolve within two months or six months or a year trying to zone something for long-term use uh, thinking that something a building will have a specific use for 20 years is just not understanding the world works today Mm. you're talking about the world and you also brought in, like, the whole
0: of Latin America, and there's always this, this question whether local cases can be actually applied worldwide. So um, does it make sense to exchange on an international level if local conditions are so different? What what would be your take on that?
1: Sure. There's some things that are common to every city in the world, and the main one is humanity. Uh, what makes every city similar is that there's humans living in them, and humans have various, very... Uh, interesting features in common wherever we find ourselves. Uh, And, of course, some cities are going to be hotter, others are going to be colder, some cities will be flat, others are going to be bumpy. Uh, But the human element is always the same. And so talking about similar conditions, we can talk that all humans walk. Uh, Of course, there's a handicap, and and we need to uh, integrate with inclusive strategies. But in order to get to a car, whether our city prefers cars or prefers public transportation or prefers bikes, we still, we still need to walk to whatever mode of transportation we need. And so we need to talk about sidewalks as the main feature of any city. And we forgot that. At least in Latin America, uh, we were catering specifically to cars. Uh, and so that was limiting our options. And now we're saying, no, you know what? We forgot the main thing, which was, in, in this case, sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I, think, I think this is fascinating, though, because, I mean, from this engagement, uh, I've been able to draw very um, interesting parallels between different countries. I think India, for me, for example, um, and Mexico are very, very similar climates uh, to what we have in, in South Africa. And and what they're employing, uh, you know, is, is on the, along the same lines that where we are going. And we've seen this need, um, you know, even looking at pictures that, that uh, Marco was showing us this morning. It's It's almost like, you know, if I didn't know... It looks like home, um, so it, it's quite interesting. I think sometimes you know the the economists around the world they compare different countries, and I think they don't always get it completely right because we have a very different climate to Europe, so the things that work in Sweden and Germany and uh, you know would have to be completely. You know, re it to apply it to our cities. But you know what they're working on with with urban reform there is, and I've got some very interesting ideas from them. You know, over this week already that I'm I'm actually dying to get back home to to have a look at. Um, so it's it, yeah, it was it was very fruitful in that sense.
0: Did okay, you also some some experience like that for you? Where you say that's something you, that you didn't know about yet, like one. What is what, are the, what is the most interesting finding you had so far in this seminar? Well,
3: I would say the most interesting part was the different perspective of looking at the same issues. Uh, for us, from being from Bangladesh, uh, countries who are economically uh, right now just trying their way to, you know, become a developed country, we always have this feeling of, you know, everybody has it right and probably it's just us who just slept around throughout the history of time and didn't do anything. But what I I come to realize is that that no country is out of its own crisis. I mean, probably the time that some Western countries developed in their infrastructure or financial structures, probably we had more time to work with our communities and uh, work on our values. So, whereas everybody is struggling to, you know, create a balance Mm -hmm. in how to make the life uh, beautiful, I mean, only efficiency is not going to make your life uh, the quality of of your life beautiful. So one thing was very important for me is to see, to regain that confidence that yes, we are also still there trying to do our best in our time in our context and to have a different perspective of the terminologies and ideas of things, how we address a problem. So I I already have so much that if I could have a time, I could really note down the thoughts. Probably, you know, me and my fellow uh, architect uh, friend who is here, we already are discussing on how to really summarise the different inputs that we have uh, gained from the facilitators and from the uh, participants. Because the best thing that it does is, you know, it broadens your mindset of how you look at a problem. So, you know, starting from the definitions and the examples that we have seen, there's so much for us to take home and and try to rethink and re-communicate with our community. And we are actually planning on having a presentation on giving the ideas of, you know, from governments to uh, practitioners, how everyone's working uh, towards making it better. Just to give an example of what Marcus was saying about, you know, how social reforms are going to come up from startups, of how small initiatives are going to make the change. And I think uh, having an access to the government, we can go and talk, that, you know, open certain layers up so that we can come and contribute.
2: And reduce transaction costs. Reduce swing transaction
0: swing. costs. <laughs> maybe, maybe as a final question for all of you, um, starting with Rashid, if, if you guys would come here, and I actually hope you do, so when you come here in five years, to Gumasbach, um, what, what, what is your hope that you can say about your home, home city, how it developed in the smart city way, five years from now? What would you tell us sitting here?
3: Well, uh, at least I hope I could say that I got the project through, And I have uh, been able to implement the ideas and, you know, foresee the new changes that I did not before and have scope of integrating those ideas, you know, not to fall behind and to say that, you know, we're at par with the things you're doing.
2: Well, what isn't there that we want to get done? Um, I think for me, the, the small business growth is probably our biggest priority at the moment. And it's something that I'd like to see fundamentally, you know, um, achieved uh, within our city because we have a five percent economic growth. It, it's quite a, a substantial target. Um, but our, our unemployment rate, you know, in a city of sort of five point two million, is is close to one point five million people. Um, and but these people have phenomenal ideas. You know, we've had an eighteen year old, for example, that came up with a locker dispensary system um, that delivers your medicine to it, so that to reduce the queues at, at hospitals. I mean, you know, somebody who's eighteen years old. Um, but he never had an opportunity to present these ideas because of where he's located, and, um, you know, he doesn't know anyone, and and we've put him in touch with the private sector. So I'd I'd like to see at least a a number of entrepreneurs that are within the industry, um, you know, in, in, you know, five years' time, and it's a good indicator because you have to judge entrepreneurs over a sort of three-year period, you know. That seems to be the time frame. If you're going to fail or you're going to succeed, you kind of know around the two-, three-year mark. Kind of Thanks,
1: Marco. Uh, yeah, well, I, I want to say we will have a couple examples of uh, better cities, uh, and particularly some with practices we've learned in this seminar. Uh, e-governance. I would love to see more e-governance and reduce the the um, the corruption that happens in urban development departments uh, uh, in trying to get permits and all that. And so uh, these are very applicable uh, strategies that many of these cities have already taught us. Uh, what I would want to say though is that. Prepare to be surprised. Uh, Entrepreneurs (laughs) are going to surprise us in six months, in two years. So five years, we cannot even begin to predict what kind of innovations are going to come out that will change the world and change our lives. So I'll look forward to debating those in five years. Yeah, I look
0: also forward very much because in five years, I hope... We have accomplished the mission of Friedrich Norman Foundation, really becoming the global innovation platform for liberals around the world. See you there again uh, as part of our Liberal Smart Cities Network, where we exchange on best practices and support each other. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for listening, and um, yeah, looking forward to the next podcast and the next smart city seminar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.